0: Hi everybody, welcome back, and um, a big thank you for everyone who's been listening regularly or just popping in whenever they have a chance. Um, This is actually our 10th episode, and um, I have some exciting announcements. I didn't necessarily plan it with the 10th episode, but it works out really well. Um, So um, up to now, we've just been posting these to SoundCloud and then linking them on websites and emails. Um, I want to make these as accessible as possible to all of you, and I've gotten some feedback here and there that it'd be great to have them in actual podcast form. So we have delivered on that, and um, uh, this will be available. It is currently available, actually, on Google Podcasts and on Stitcher and it's waiting approval from Apple Podcasts. So, I'm hoping that will come in the next few days. Today is Tuesday, December 17th. So, I submitted it to Apple for review yesterday, Monday, and um hopefully we'll hear in the next few days. They say it can take up to 10 business days, but hopefully um in the next few days and you can check on Apple Podcasts for that if it's available. And so Because I'm submitting this as an actual podcast now to these different venues, um, we did have to pick a name for the podcast because it hasn't really had a name up to now. And so uh, the name that we went with is Sunday Dive. Okay, Sunday Dive. So Sunday is in the Sunday readings and dive is in like a deep dive into the Sunday readings. And so when you search on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and hopefully on Apple Podcasts in the next few days. Um, you can search for Sunday dive and you will come right to this podcast. And it also, we also set up a dedicated website for the audio. It's sundaydive.com, sundaydive.com. And so you can find all the audio there as well. If you want to listen on your, um, desktop browser or, um, just on the internet, on your phone, your browser on your phone. So, That being said, we're going to try to phase out slowly SoundCloud, uh, actually, because SoundCloud, I have to pay an additional fee to use SoundCloud in addition to the other hosting that I have for this to go out as a podcast. And so I'm going to post the next three to four episodes still on SoundCloud, but then after that, we're going to phase it out and move it over to um, just Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and then the website, Sunday Dive. Dot com, but like I said it looks um, or functions just exactly like SoundCloud does just looks a little bit differently so sundaydive.com and if you have any questions about any of that feel free to reach out to me and I can help you um, subscribe to the podcast and get that on your mobile phone um, and it will push to you automatically and you won't have to check your email or check for updates and you will have these podcasts coming to you weekly So let's go into uh, the readings for the upcoming Sunday. We're talking about the fourth Sunday of Advent. So Advent has really flown by for me. I don't know about for you, um, but today we get the gospel reading from Matthew and we get more Christmassy readings, um, ones that we kind of maybe have expected all of Advent, but we've been reading a little bit more about John the Baptist and the Advent or the coming of Jesus in, um, in his public ministry. And so today we get kind of the more Christmassy reading and our gospel is from Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 24, Matthew one, eighteen through 24. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about when his mother, Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, Decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home, for it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. So here we get Jesus. Obviously, we get Mary. We get the work of the Holy Spirit. But we also get St. Joseph. And I want to kind of end talking about St. Joseph. Um, But I want to focus in more on um, the prophecy that Matthew talks about here uh, of the virgin conceiving and bearing a son and his name being, that son's name being Emmanuel. Um, that's a prophecy from Isaiah 7, 14. And so this is important for Matthew. This is the, the story of the annunciation, if you will, in Matthew, but it's the annunciation to Joseph, okay? Um, but for Matthew, it's important to hearken back to the fact that the coming of God incarnate is a fulfillment of, of many prophecies, but especially this prophecy in Isaiah seven fourteen. So Matthew loves the Old Testament. He has some 60 uh, references to the Old Testament. And at several points in his gospel, he also um, makes what uh, some scholars call um, fulfillment. Uh, he points out fulfillment prophecies. He makes fulfillment references, you might call. And this happens about 10 different times in his gospel, where he says, hey, this that I just described to you, it's fulfilling an Old Testament prophecy. And then he quotes the Old Testament prophecy. And so here um, in Matthew chapter one, he does this for the first time, quoting Isaiah 7, 14. And you might have guessed it, but our first reading is actually going to come from Isaiah chapter seven, verses 10 through 14. So let's go ahead and read that together. Isaiah 7, 10 through 14. The Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. Let it be deep as the netherworld or high as the sky. But Ahaz answered, I will not ask, I will not tempt the Lord. Then Isaiah said, Listen, O house of David, is it not enough for you to weary people? Must you also weary my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel." This is one of the most quoted Old Testament prophecies and probably one of the Old Testament prophecies that we're most familiar with, precisely because it's quoted so much during Christmas. But it's very taken out of context. I don't know if you've ever heard the prophecy before and thought, I have zero context for what's going on here. And so what I want to do in our time together is give you some of that context. So um, the prophet Isaiah the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz, who is the king of Judah, okay? And there we have a, we already have a context that we need to flesh out. Why do I say he's the king of Judah and not the king of Israel? Because at the time period that Isaiah is speaking, we have what's called the divided kingdom. And so under David and under Solomon, all the 12 tribes were united. But then under Solomon's son Rehoboam, there's a split in the nation of Israel. And up to that point, you have um, the ten tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south, and they rule each other independently. And they came, they come to be referred to Israel in the north, the ten northern tribes, and then Judah in the south, okay. And so the Davidic king, the descendants of David, the royal descendants of David and Solomon, they do not rule Israel in the north. Israel elects their own king, but they rule Judah in the south. All right. And that it's it's with that royal household that God has made a covenant. And so He's going to remain faithful to that royal household. And, that, and that's the true royal household, okay? And so Ahaz is the descendant of David here. He's the, the king of Judah, um, ruling over the southern tribes. And at this time period in which Isaiah is, uh, writing or this prophecy is being spoken through Isaiah by God, there is, um, a lot of struggle, power struggle going on in the Middle East. And, um, essentially, uh, a new nation is coming to power as the world power. And that nation is Assyria and Assyria is slowly conquering all these other nations. And so they're threatening, uh, Judah, Israel, and the neighboring countries around them, and so what happens is that Israel in the north, the king of Israel, and Syria to not to be confused with Assyria, and Syria. So Israel and Syria, they make a pact and they decide um, that we are going that they are going to to have a united front in trying to stop Assyria from uh, from taking over, right? And they ask Judah, the king of Judah, Ahaz, to join them in uh, in their alliance, and Ahaz refuses. And so what Israel and Syria decide to do is to go into Judah and to um, conquer Judah and likely depose Ahaz. And so um, if we actually read the earlier verses in Isaiah 7, we get some of that context um, for us. And so I want to do that. So Isaiah 7, verse 1 In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz and say to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. And then the Lord goes on to say, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Okay. So this is the context as written out by Isaiah, just like we were talking about. And so the king of Israel and the king of Syria are threatening Judah and Ahaz and his people are extremely worried about this. And our Lord, the Lord, I should say, knows what's in the heart and in the mind of Ahaz and what he's considering doing to take action against this threat. And what Ahaz is considering doing is asking the king of Assyria, this world power threatening all these smaller nations, to come into alliance with him and to protect him from Israel and Syria. Many people think this is not a good idea because essentially when you make a pact with uh, a world power, you're going to become a vassal nation to them. You're going to have to pay them taxes. You're going to have to pay the king homage. And, and this is exactly what ends up happening. You're probably going to have to introduce the religion of that nation to whom you are a vassal, which is idolatry. And so many people are like, Ahaz don't do this. And God himself Is saying to Ahaz, I know Syria and I know Israel are threatening you, but I will protect you. And so he's saying, Don't do anything. I'm going to take care of the situation. Do not enter into an alliance with Assyria. And then, this is where we pick up on the first reading. And then God says words that each one of us, every single one of us, wishes God would speak to us at least one time in our life. It says, The Lord spoke to Ahaz. And said, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Okay, so God has just finished saying, If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. In other words, I'm telling you, Syria and Israel are not going to conquer you. They're not going to harm you. I'm going to take care of it. And actually, I'm going to give you a sign because I know you're faltering in your faith. And God says, and I will let you ask for the sign. So he says to King Ahaz, ask me for anything as a sign that I'm going to take care of you. And Ahaz, what he says, taken out of context, sounds very pious. Because what Ahaz says is, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. But this is hypocrisy and this is not piety at all. Because what Ahaz is doing is kind of refusing to hear the Lord and refusing to see the faithfulness of the Lord because he just wants his way. He wants to find a reason to enter into an alliance with Assyria. And so he's going to literally fight his own battle here because the Lord is telling him, I'm going to take care of the situation. Don't do anything. Just remain faithful to me. But Ahaz can't handle it. And so he doesn't even want a sign. He doesn't even want to see that God is going to remain faithful to him. And so he says, I will not test the Lord. I will not ask for a sign. We can see that this is false piety in the Lord's response to him. He says, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you also weary my God? therefore I will give you a sign. So God says, fine, you're not going to ask for a sign. I'm still going to give you a sign. And then we get that famous prophecy, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name shall be Emmanuel. Anytime, virtually anytime in the Old Testament, when we have a prophecy, we get what's called an initial fulfillment and then a final fulfillment. And so many people looking at this prophecy in Isaiah believe that this prophecy is initially fulfilled and Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, okay? Hezekiah is one of the few good descendants of David, one of the few good kings of Judah. Um, There there are virtually none of them. It was like Hezekiah and Josiah. That's pretty much it. All the rest of the kings um, did not remain faithful to God and they had a lot of issues, Hezekiah, Ahaz's son, comes to power and he initiates um, a lot of religious reforms, turning the people back to the true worship of God. And he's also um, able to deliver the people from many of these threats um, of other nations and wars and what have you. And so there's sort of an initial fulfillment in Hezekiah, but prophecies always have a final fulfillment And you already know what the final fulfillment of this prophecy is because we hear it all the time in Christmas and because Matthew himself in our gospel reading tells us what the final fulfillment is. And the final fulfillment comes in Jesus himself. And we see this in two ways in particular. The prophecy says a virgin shall conceive. Okay, we can see how In the initial fulfillment, there's something true about that because if a woman who has not yet conceived conceives and gives birth to Hezekiah, then in a way a virgin conceives. But in Jesus' birth, a virgin conceives and remains a virgin. So she does not conceive in the normal manner. And this is mind-blowing, obviously. I mean, many people reject this because they're like on a biological, physical level. This is not possible. It's a miracle, right? And if you don't believe in miracles, then the virgin birth is not possible. But nonetheless, we have faith and believe in miracles, and we believe that this prophecy from Isaiah has been fulfilled, and that the virgin who is Mary, our lady, does indeed conceive, remaining a virgin because she conceives by the Holy Spirit. And then we also have the clear final fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah 7.14 in Jesus because of the prophecy that he— whom the virgin conceives shall be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And there's many ways in which Hezekiah's birth showed God is with them, right? Because Hezekiah initiated these religious reforms and there was a certain amount of peace that reigned over the kingdom of Judah during the reign of Hezekiah. But nonetheless, in Jesus, we have the literal fulfillment of that because Jesus is God, and so when Jesus becomes incarnate and is born of the virgin, God is literally with us. And so his name is Emmanuel. And this is the beautiful background for that wonderful prophecy we hear all the time during the season, Isaiah seven fourteen. And I'm hoping that now when you hear that, you think back to Ahaz and you think back to the kingdom of Judah being concerned about the threats from Syria and from Israel and God's immense condescension, his bending down to them and his willingness to care for them. I love, um, I love what the, the English standard version uh, says here. Um, be careful, be quiet, do not fear and do not let your heart be faint. Be careful and be quiet and do not fear. These are words for us to, to take to heart during this season, right? But lest um, we um, overlook the other figures in Matthew's gospel, I want to talk about St. Joseph because he's one of the figures here in Matthew 1. In Matthew 1, chapter eight, verses chapter 1, verses 18 through 24, When we read the story of um, the annunciation to Joseph and we hear that Joseph decides that the best course of action is to divorce Mary, we can kind of bristle at that a little bit Um, or at best we're just confused by it. So I want to try to bring um, to light what's actually going on here and also um, tease out the fact that what we read about this, in, this interaction between God and Joseph, and then Joseph and Mary, um, it shows how righteous and holy and virtuous Joseph is. So first of all, sometimes when we hear that Mary and Joseph were betrothed, but they had not lived together, we immediately, our mind immediately, because of our own cultural context goes to engagement, right? But but the betrothal period in a Jewish um, marriage was more than an engagement. So during the betrothal period, husband and wife had actually um, exchanged consent They actually um, sworn their marriage vows to one another. And so they were legally married, but they had not yet consummated their marriage. They had not yet lived together because what would happen is that the husband would go back to his father's house. He would add a room onto his father's house. And then when the room was finished, then he would bring his bride back to his home, his father's home. And then they would celebrate the wedding. So Joseph and Mary are in the betrothal stage, which means they have not consummated when they're not going to, because it's very clear that Mary has intended always to be a virgin, but yet they are, they don't live together yet. Okay. Um, and Mary is found with child. She's found to be pregnant. This is super problematic because they're not living together, Mary and Joseph. So there's an implication of adultery. All right. And it tells us that Joseph, her husband, since he was righteous, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Okay. So we're told he's righteous, but he's also unwilling to put her to shame. And so he divorces her quietly. Let's talk about those three things in particular. What does it mean? What is what is Matthew getting at that he was righteous? Well, I think he's telling us just a characteristic of Joseph in general, but I think he also tells us that to explain the next few clauses. Why does Matthew tell us Joseph is righteous? Well, because the law of Moses says that a woman who is caught in adultery ought to be served a divorce, okay? And so Joseph being a righteous Jew wants to be faithful to the law of Moses but Joseph finds himself in a very difficult place because Joseph in his holiness knowing the scriptures and knowing Mary's own holiness believes her story that she's actually conceived by the holy spirit and bears in her womb the messiah and yet he has to reconcile that with the fact of the mosaic law and how to keep the mosaic law Um, while also honoring Mary's story, the truth, the reality of what has happened here. And so he's unwilling to expose her to shame. And so in his unwillingness to expose her to shame, Joseph decides to divorce her quietly. Now, how would divorcing her quietly stop Mary from being exposed to shame? Well, because the proper... Uh, punishment for adultery um, would have been stoning. But you could forgo accusing your wife of adultery if you simply quietly divorced her. But there's an implication that comes with quietly divorcing your adulterous wife or perceived to be adulterous wife because Mary is not here, right? And what comes along with that is an assumption that you yourself, the husband, have a part to play in this. In other words, there's not necessarily adultery going on here, but there's unchastity. And so when Joseph quietly divorces her, he actually takes on to himself some of the shame that Mary is bearing because what the implication would have been, what people would have assumed because Joseph quietly divorces her, is that both of them together were, um, unchaste and they consummated their marriage before it should have been. And so Joseph, by quietly divorcing her, kind of identifies himself with Mary and is willing to take on some of that shame. He does not have the need to proclaim to the world that he is innocent of any wrongdoing. And so in that way, he really does identify himself with Mary. And there's some, there's a beautiful way in which, um, the The lives of the two of them um, are are bound together because of this in a way even greater than how marriage bound them together, right? And so their identities, um, unfortunately wrapped up in shame, um, become bound together. And this shows forth the great, uh, holiness that St. Joseph possessed and the immense love that he had for Mary and his willingness to remain faithful, find a way to remain faithful to the Mosaic law, while also believing in the words of the Holy Spirit through the angel that Mary, I believe, recounted to him. I believe that Mary told Joseph, um, everything that she experienced and that Joseph in his heart, believed in God's faithfulness to his people, to the Jewish people, in uh, sending a Messiah, and that Messiah was going to come through Our Lady. Um, And so we have here a very, very righteous man in St. Joseph, and that righteousness is deeply attractive. It's deeply, deeply attractive. And and so what I would encourage you to do in um, this remaining week of Advent is to take up uh, prayer to St. Joseph to ask for his intercession. Um, so if apart from Mary, who was conceived without sin, Joseph is the holiest human we have. He was so docile to the Holy Spirit, and he was so um, willing to respond to the grace that God gave him that he um, proved himself worthy of being the father of jesus being the legal father of jesus and this is so beautiful and so powerful and it's for this reason that joseph saint joseph is invoked for many things so saint joseph is the patron of chastity and purity and you can understand why because he had perfect chastity and perfect purity as grace of the holy spirit in order to protect mary's vow of virginity all right St. Joseph is also the patron saint of the dying because it's believed that, um, at his deathbed, St. Joseph was blessed to have Mary and Jesus. And what more could you want, right? And, um, so we pray to St. Joseph for those who are dying. uh, St. Joseph is the patron of families, okay? Because he was the head of the Holy Family. And so he is a great person to pray to, um, If you have difficulty in your family, and a lot of times difficulties in families um, make themselves very well known during this time of year, right? And so if you're getting ready to spend time with your family and you're not really looking forward to it during the holidays, St. Joseph is a great person to pray to, to ask for the grace to have peace in families and to mend families. Um, and then patron uh, St. Joseph is also the patron saint of the Universal Church, actually. Um, and he's a great one to invoke um, during this time in which we find ourselves, in which the church is... Um, is um experiencing all sorts of struggles lately um, I don't think you should become a you should be afraid by these struggles but nonetheless it's worthwhile to entrust the universal church to our Lord especially through the intercession of Saint Joseph so the thought is that as Joseph protected Jesus, so Joseph continues to protect Jesus in his body the body of Christ which is the church right? And so, in this last week of Advent, I'd really encourage you to meditate on the life of Saint Joseph, and you can do that by meditating on this gospel, and to really um, place your life, your own holiness, your purity, your chastity, your death, your family, and the Church, in the hands of Saint Joseph, who will uh, who will offer unceasing intercession for you, before the throne of His Son, who is the true, uh, the true king over Israel, the true Messiah, the descendant, the righteous descendant of David, that shoot of Jesse, who is God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity incarnate, whose birth we will celebrate in just a few days. Thanks again so much for listening. Um, Since this is in podcast form, you can actually um, review the podcast I really ask you to do that. If you've enjoyed listening to them, please review it on Google Podcasts, on Stitcher, when it's up on um, iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. Um, Reviews uh, and comments really help other people to discover the podcast. So if you don't mind doing that, that would be great. Thanks so much. A blessed Advent and um, a very Merry Christmas to you. God bless.